Do you want to know the secret to success? Welcome to rulesforsuccess.com, a platform that unites the accomplished and the ambitious. This is where successful entrepreneurs reveal their winning strategies, their profound wisdom, and their practical guidance. Whether you are a pioneering entrepreneur, a determined business leader, or simply someone who craves success, rulesforsuccess.com is the podcast designed for you. We're here to arm you with the invaluable knowledge of individuals who have paved their own path to success. And now let's get into the show with dynamic host, Joseph Varghese. Hey everyone, Joseph Varghese here. I'm beyond excited to get to interview my, my good friend, Rick Starr. Rick is an awesome guy. We've gotten to connect in the, re- in the recent weeks and uh, this is Rules for Success, rulesforsuccess.com. So you can tap into this interview and the mind map for it, summary of it, rulesforsuccess.com. Rick Starr is a serial entrepreneur and a family business owner. He started working at 13 years old pretty early being an entrepreneur and hasn't stopped creating and disrupting everything he touches. After losing everything and putting his family millions of dollars of debt, Rick climbed out of despair by deconstructing his failures and reframing his life's work. 18 months later, he had created seven new companies and had someone pay him to take $18 million of income producing properties off their hands. He lives in Florida with his beautiful wife and his three kids, and he's grateful for every day on this planet. So welcome, Rick. How are you, brother? I am excellent, Joseph. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. This is great. I appreciate you. I mean, I see you and we've had conversations in recent weeks about your life and how you've gamified your life. And it blows my mind away because much of what I do is about playing a bigger game. How I do even success circles, my, my passion business about inspiring others to play a, big, a bigger game, which is where this podcast will lie, will lay, of course. Um, so tell me, so how'd you get started as an entrepreneur age 13 years old? Yeah, so it's a it's a family trait. My dad is an entrepreneur as well, and he started his first dealership or got his first Toyota dealership at the ripe old age of 22. So he was the youngest Toyota dealer in the country at the time, and this was back in 1969. And that gene has been passed on to me. So I started working for him at one of his dealerships when I was 13 years old, selling parts, wholesale parts to... Uh, to other dealerships and, and other accounts locally, body shops or whatever. And that's how I got my start. I started there and I've worked with and for my dad and still currently work with my dad in his companies for over 30 years now. Was your dad kind of a born entrepreneur as well? Did you inherit that trait from him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He was, so he was a very successful salesperson and worked you know, and this was only at the age of 22, but a very successful salesperson. And so what kept happening to him was he would start earning more through the commission programs than the owners of the businesses he was selling for, most of which were, were car dealerships. And anytime an owner would sign a check for him bigger than their own, they would change the commission structure mm-hmm. So finally, he got fed up and went out and reached out to Toyota and got awarded a franchise. Got Amazing. his own dealership. As Toyota was just breaking into the country. Amazing. He's made some pivots since then. So he was doing that then. I understand was, the theater yeah. industry as well also. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So in he's he was a car dealer from 1969 through till 2007. We sold the last one. He still has a, a classic car business that he mm-hmm. runs now. But that's more of a hobby business than it is a, a business business. It, it does buy and sell and, and it does generate revenue and, and makes money, but it's it, it's just more of a passion project for him. 
but outside of that, yeah, in in the mid nineties, I think 96, he got together with a buddy of his that he was a golfing friend and that, that gentleman owned drive-in movie theaters. And this was right when stadium seating movie theaters were the new thing. Uh, they were the transition in the industry was going from slope floor to stadium. Right. And so they built a stadium theater in a near a college in a small town in central Massachusetts. And it just took off. And wow. after all the years of grinding it out in car dealerships, he, he realized how much more fun it was and how much easier it was to sell popcorn. And he was hooked. And so, yeah, he, he started his movie theater empire in 1996. Amazing. Amazing. So you've, you've kind of watched that. You've, you've been part of the ride there as well also. And um, what were some lessons your dad taught you with regard to like entrepreneurship and the pivot? I mean, during this time, COVID year, COVID years that we're dealing with and things will shift for the better eventually. But what were some like I, 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 pivoting is such a key thing that um, I teach people that or invite people to share lessons around. It's because we've got to be resourceful. We got to show up. We got to be able to uh, look at the market, the, the the whole playing field, for example, and make adjustments with regard to what we're doing. So, what were some pivots? Like, like what did he teach you about pivoting? Like, to be able to do that. Yeah. So, one of the interesting things, one of the conversations, and I'll talk about the towards the end of the dealerships. So, mm-hmm. he had been grooming me essentially my whole life since I was 13 to take over the dealerships. And I had become a part owner in the dealership business. And as 2006 was unfolding, we were starting to be met with the challenge of either start growing again, you know, start to grow the business back up and expand or to sell it because we had, we constantly were getting offers on, on the dealerships to, for, for bigger companies that wanted to purchase them. And we had some very serious discussions about it. And, and what ended up happening was we were in, our dealerships were in Fort Pierce, Florida and Port St. Lucie, Florida. The market had started to turn, right? The real estate market, not, not the, the car market, but the, the real estate market had started to drop. Prices was, had started oh, to drop. Oh, six, oh seven was crazy. You had property in, in Florida that I short sailed eventually, but I crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy time. Yes. It's, it tells what happened. Yeah. So as, as the property values were dropping, we looked at what we were doing and I said, well, property values don't go down unless something bad is coming. So we're in a situation now where we've got a big offer on the table. Let's see if we can maximize that offer by splitting these assets apart. There was two dealerships tied to the one offer, but the, the company that had offered it had only really wanted one of the franchises. They didn't want both. And so they didn't really offer us any value for the second one. They were just giving us a big number on one. So I said, let's split it since they don't care anyway. And let's try and maximize this, sell off, sell them off as two separate entities. And let's get out while the getting is good, because I think we need to focus on other businesses that are a little bit more recession proof. And typically movie theaters are that, right? They're a low cost of local entertainment. So when people stop traveling and people stop you know, spending big amounts of money, they still want to get out of their house and do something. And movies are usually a great escape for something like that. Right now, during a pandemic, yeah. it's the opposite of that, right? Even right. though people aren't going anywhere and are, are stuck, they're stuck at home. But typically outside of a pandemic, when when money gets tight and times get, get hard and people stop moving around as much, they the movies do exceedingly well. So 
So we did. We just we totally shifted gears, got out of the car business entirely for almost 10 years, over wow. 10 years till he started his other, you know, classic car thing. Business, right. And and just went all in on the movie theaters for for that period of time. Got it. Well, wow. so so what are some lessons that someone during the pandemic can take on with regard to that? Like things are happening. How did you forecast? Like, how did you go about forecasting the future to be able to kind of predict these things and make adjustments and go talk to your dad about this? I mean, was your dad like a strategist? Was he? Because you're a visionary. Like, I've spoken to you many times. You're like a. Mm -hmm. You think at a very high level, visionary level, which is very important, especially when it comes to being leadership and um, leading teams and making things happen. Yeah. So with him. He's, he's very practical. And he, he always told me that I will make more money buying and selling dealerships than I ever will operating a dealership. Hmm. And so he had always bought and sold dealerships. So for him, it wasn't too far a stretch. And he had also been there since the seventies. So he had been there through the gas crunches and the, then through the eighties with all the crazy interest rates. And, you know, he had seen many cycles, many down cycles, and, and he was very seasoned in, in spotting those types of challenges. So when the real estate prices started to dip, it was an immediate indicator for him as well that, you know, now we either need to lean in real hard and, and get ready for, you know, at least a four or five year battle where this becomes very difficult yeah. or get out and, you know, focus on the business that can actually make money right now, which is, which was the movie theaters. And, and so, um, so yeah, he's he's always been exceedingly practical and very rational and unattached, I guess, to his businesses. He's very emotionally attached to his family and to the people mm. that that work with him, but he is always unattached to the business entity from a buy and sell standpoint. And that's a unique trait. That is not, you know, yeah. so many people that, you know, their business is their life right. and they, they could never see themselves parting with it. He is not that person. He is absolutely someone that says if somebody's going to come in with a good enough offer everything's for sale and you know that's how he was raised as well that's that's, that's, that's so important it's and be taught that as a skill at a young age growing up it's very mm -hmm. vital because many of us have to learn that along the way and see others fail or go through the challenges ourselves and be so attached to things being a certain way and i mean i think this year has taught this past couple of years has taught us that you can't you can't be too attached you know 60 percent of businesses restaurants especially in where i live in new york have have gone down got it so how did you get into esports and the work you do with five and please tell the audience what is five exactly yeah sure esports is an interesting story as well and i've always played video games my parents were always very progressive when it came to giving us access to video games and taking us to the arcade and doing all of those types of entertainment when we were kids, probably because there were five of us and they needed <laughs> something to distract us <laughs> right. so that, that we weren't killing each other what, all the what, time. What was your favorite? I had a, I had a ColecoVision. What was your favorite as a kid? Uh, I loved Coleco. We had in television, but I, I really cut my teeth on the old brown Atari box. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So we had, uh, we probably had 30 cartridges for that Atari and man, it was just, it was great. I liked Snafu and Pitfall were probably two of my favorites. Awesome. Pit, awesome. Pitfall because of Indiana Jones. It was a, you know, it's like playing Indiana Jones without them having to pay the license fee for putting Indiana Jones on the title. Awesome. So. I, my, my best man at my wedding as a kid, he's three years old, younger than I'm, he had an Atari. So I used to go to his house 
and uh, have a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. I had the clicker vision, and I think my my Cubert was one, one of my games, and I had like 20, 30 games of Buckman discount. At the places we're about the same age too, so it was just awesome playing games as a kid. And then in college, in high school, I had an Amiga Amiga computer, Amiga thousand Amiga two thousand. So Amiga was my my thing as far as my game yeah. system later later. So 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 you went from Atari playing games as a kid, being occupied by that, now getting into the world of games and gamification and sports, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so again, interesting. Well, let me explain a little bit about five and then I'll tell you how, how I got into it. So five is essentially an amateur esports ecosystem. Hmm. We are building out multiple, five different pieces of a puzzle to fill out what is missing in amateur esports, which is a lot. There are a lot of holes still left to fill in the esports world. In, in, in that industry. So mm-hmm. I, I spent, you know, it's been two years in development, this five as an, as an entire entity, uh, working with people in esports, spending lots of time with people in esports and gaming, spending time figuring out how to make it all work and, and all the calculations and everything that goes into the back end of successfully building a business. Mm-hmm. I've, I've unsuccessfully built businesses as well. So I had to that learning curve to, right. to not repeat. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and so, yeah, five, five is everything mm. from amateur leagues to licensed product and mm. consumer products and, and a gaming agency for amateur gamers and data, all, all sorts of components of this company that, that make it actually work and also make the gaming experience mm. for amateurs like a pro experience. And that, that was the entire goal was to set out and, and figure out very low cost ways to mm. engage amateur gamers in a way that doesn't break the bank, but also gets them super excited about everything in esports and their communities and getting involved in playing in, in live venues and doing all sorts of fun things. You know, gaming is usually so solitary. You're behind a screen on a headset and right. you're living behind your avatar. And, and we, are not, we are not that company. We are meant to get people out and communicating with each other one-on-one and live and in person and bringing people together. So, you know, it's tough to launch that in a pandemic. Right. So, so we've, we've been delayed about a year. We would have launched last January, but we've been delayed about a year based on the pandemic. And we we go back into testing here this month. So it's very exciting, but, wow. uh, yeah. but yeah, the, how I ended up getting into it was my previous company, uh, my side company i had a company that i made consumer products for marvel and disney and dc wow. comics and fox with family guy and simpsons and hasbro and transformers and so all, all sorts of companies right and mm-hmm. and we would sell into major retail and you know we had retailers like autozone and mm-hmm. we had retailers like target that we were selling into so we were as i was building that business i built it entirely wrong not knowing what i was doing i just kind mm-hmm. of you know kept seeing you know, different things and, and figuring out how to make it work and seeing something else and figuring out how to make it work. And, and that was great. And it was a, a heck of a learning curve. But when I unwound it, it was it was very costly. And as part before hmm. we unwound it, we were actually uh, fortunate enough to partner with Gary V and his company. Wow. And so hmm. I, I partnered with Gary and, and got, you know, one on one meetings with Gary and my last meeting with Gary, as I was mentioning to him that we were either going to have to fundraise for that company or shut it down, was he, Gary's comment to me was go to Ibiza. 
And I, I said, what does that mean? He said, <laughs> if you're going to get somebody to invest in this at this point in the, in the sense of urgency that you have, you need somebody that wants to, that has a ton of money and just wants to make Batman stuff. And wow. I was like, well, I, I'm not going to Ibiza. This is obviously not going to be working. Uh, but just prior to that meeting, he had brought me out, uh, his team had brought me out and he was there uh, to CES in Las Vegas. And I was fortunate enough to meet a couple of guys that are pretty high up in esports. Mm. And, and they mentioned to me about what they were doing in esports and that was content creation and all, you know, they had pro players and they mm. had, you know, teams and organized leagues and things. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, like, you know, are you guys making money? And they said, no. And I said, really, that's interesting. I said, well, you know, if you're doing content creation, do you have a lot of followers? And they said, yeah, we have 400 million. And I said, you have 400 million? <laughs> right. And they said, yeah. And I said, and you're not making money off you're of 400 million it. people? Yeah. Like that's, that's, a, that's a, lot of, a lot of eyes on what you're doing. And, and yeah, they weren't monetizing. And, and that's where I realized there were so many holes left to be filled in esports. Amazing. And I had, I, esports had been buzzing around in the back of my head anyway, because as a movie theater owner, I knew that it was a, a great venue for esports, but it wasn't anything I really focused on. And that, that got my attention. Amazing. got my attention. Amazing. I mean, I admire your ability to pivot. Of course, we talked about before as well, also tapping into the industry. So what have you learned? So getting in, so was it challenging kind of immerse yourself into this world and being a leader, like, you know, like in the recent years? You know, it's funny that the nice thing about esports is that there are very few people. It's like Florida was in the 90s, mm, right? Mm, there mm. were very few people that were from Florida. Mm. <laughs> so everybody was a transplant. <laughs> right. Esports is the same way. It's it's everybody is a transplant. There were very few people that have been in esports for the 15 or 16 years it's, it's actually existed. Most of those people are all new to the system within the last three to five years. What's your vision so, for esports and particularly for five over the next year yeah, once so, pandemic ends? Yeah, and that's a great question. Thank you. So my vision is that esports was built backwards. It was built from the top down. So the publishers that own the game titles built a pro system without building anything underneath it. We are my vision is that we we fill out everything underneath it to not only feed the pro system long term but also to fill that gap where these pro teams, these pro leagues um, can monetize. And part of the reason they can't monetize is because there's no, there's no amateur system to, to speak of. Nothing that's super organized or nothing that's well organized to a point where it's cohesive and everybody knows where to go to go and play amateur esports. It's very fragmented and disjointed. So we're going to bring it all together and we're going to make it really hum in local communities. And we're going to play against multiple game titles. And it's going to be a, a very exciting ride. You're building a movement, essentially, and all the yes. connecting people, connecting all the pieces together. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we, we talked about gamification. I know at some point in the near future, you and I are going to meet and do a, a whole event specifically on how we gamify our lives. And, um, you know, as, as you know, I'm very passionate about measuring and monitoring and checking in and optimizing, making today better than yesterday and seeing life as a game. And I've seen your process and how you do that. You've got a whole board where it's like, it's like a video game board where you've got your mission, you've got your, your, your three kids on it and you're out to see their success and you're actively measuring in, in a very fun way. It's like, it's like going back in time and playing like a, you know, like a high-end Nintendo system, a game, like your, that's your map of reality of, of what you're creating. Um, 
talk about that. So what are some of the gamification strategies of success that you embrace on a regular basis that allow you to be the best version of yourself for your family, your kids, your wife, your business, and, 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 and more. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fun. I, I love, I love the thought of gamifying things. And, you know, the reason so many people play games and three quarters of the people with access on to technology on the planet game, at least once a month, mm-hmm. do some sort of a video type game. So everybody does it, right? And so there's something behind the addictive nature of the pattern of gaming. And, and that's that's why I applied it to my life. And, and because I wanted to become addicted to getting better in my own life. Hmm. You know, you'll sit there and you'll play a game for, you know, 10,000 hours right. to get better at a game. And you'll constantly fail and get beaten and constantly fail and get beaten and constantly fail and get beaten just to get that little bit better so that next time you might win. Right. And, and that's, that's sort of that, that toddler mentality, right. Where they, when they're learning to walk, they just fail and get up and fail and get up and fail and get up. And that's what gaming does for you. Hmm. It allows you to fail and get up. So I I realized that in applying that to my own life, I needed to apply the two things that were, that, that really drive all gamers. And that's a a point system and a reward system Hmm. Hmm. at the end of it. So I assign points to everything I do in my day. And every time I achieve something, not tick something off my list or do anything, I, I get points for it. I give myself points for everything that I do during my day. And then there are rewards tied to those points at the end of the day. So those rewards could be anything from I need a new pair of flip-flops and that cost me 10 points all the way up to I want to buy a farmhouse in the country somewhere to have a nice escape with my family. And that could be a half a million dollars, right? And so as I grow... I'm building up that point system over time to get myself where I can just go out and write a check for the farmhouse and say, this is, this was one of my big goals. This is, you know, I've been working for a long time and this is, this is the reward at the end of it all. And so it's, it's similar to a vision board, but it's not a vision board. And it's, it's similar to gamification in a lot of ways because it, it really is gamification, but it's also personal development, business development, and all things are tied into it for me. Amazing. Amazing. You know, one point years ago, I envisioned like the screensaver and it's like your, your vision, the map of what you're actively creating. And, and every time like we screw up, I screw up, that vision starts dissipating, like starts like, you know, like melting away, you know, like, <laughs> like, ah, yeah, bring it back, you know? And yeah. so, so I, I love the, uh, the nature of that and how you're, like you've gamified your process toward achieving success and rewarding yourself each step of the way. I mean, I live for this, but you've taken this to another level and beyond. Curiously that with your team that you manage, you have like a scoreboard that, that you have up where you're able to kind of monitor, let's say uh, like business calls and sales calls and merger and mergers. Do you have a process with your team, like a scoreboard for them? Yeah. Yeah, no. So the way that we applied gamification to my teams is through the loyalty systems through the, the guest engagement systems. So all of our loyalty programs are, are gamified or being in the process of being changed over to gamification. And so that's where that applies. When it comes to the teams, we've never had to do sales on the theater side, like my dad's company, we've never had to do active sales, right? So mm. everybody, you know, a studio would release a film and people showed up at the door. We never marketed, we never did anything. All we had to do was, you know, keep the popcorn fresh, make the bathrooms clean, make sure the auditoriums were clean, provide great customer service. It was very simple, but people literally just showed up in your door without having to really do much of anything. Now that that whole process is changing. 
So going forward, that's a, it's, it's likely something we're going to do once we start to implement a sales team and mm-hmm. all of the marketing and, and things that we're working on now, all of that stuff will, will be tracked and measured and, and a gamified system is everything that we do. So it, it's going to apply to there as well. Amazing. Last question. Maybe might, might have one more to you after this, but I'm a dad. We're both dads. We both have kids. You have three kids. Um, you know, you presented me an interesting, an interesting analogy recently about having your third child, which I thought was very cool. Um, how do you succeed in being a dad of three kids? You've certainly one up in me. And what got you to get up at, I think, 4.10 in the morning or 4.15 in the morning? You get up at a certain point on a consistent basis, at least during the week. Um, what got you to do that? And like, maybe even share a strategy on how to, how does a person like a dad with two or three kids, how do they succeed? Like, 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 like me in, in that game. Yeah. So that, that answer is relatively easy. It all comes down to time blocking hmm. and the way I time block is probably a, a little bit different than how many people time block. But what I do is I look at three areas of my life and those are me as Rick, like my personal Rick stuff. Then I look at my family as a second portion of that. And then the third tier is my work life. So I separate myself from my family life, knowing that my personal development shouldn't conflict or intertwine with my family life because they're, they're totally separate. What I do personally benefits what I do when I'm in my family time, but that I keep them separate. And then I, I dial back my week. So I say, okay, I sleep six hours a night. So I take the hours in the week, I deduct the sleep from those hours, and that's how many hours I have in the day. And I block out a whole week, and I, I do this every week. I consistently block out about 40 hours for each of those three categories. So I do 30 for personal, or 40 for personal, I do 40 for family, and then I do 40 for work. And that's how I keep it all balanced. It is amazing. It's absolutely amazing particularly I think 168 hours a week and you basically prioritize things to, I'm sure your values, family's up there as well and uh, map things out in advance. And do you have room for flexibility to, for adaptability in there? There's six hours. Six hours, yeah, six hours, yeah. Six hours a week, but yeah. that's that's almost a full work day, right? I mean, right. six hours is, is a lot of time in a block. That's true, that's true. But, but you, I mean, I'm also present that you've got a, um, I'm mindful that you have a, a nine month old. So uh, yes. I'm sure I'm sure the first six months of that, because our son learned how to walk last year. So um, it's an interesting journey. And now in his twos, things are shifted even further where he's running up back and forth and taking over the house. Uh, I'm sure the first six months of that, you've had to be very flexible to be able to get up at night and rock the baby and all of that. Yeah. So interesting enough, I travel a lot. So COVID has kept me home. And Mm. by the time I start traveling again, it will have kept me home for a year. I've never been home for a year. Wow. Wow. So Mm. that family time came very fast and easy this year, more than any other year, because I was, I was home. I wasn't traveling. Usually it's the, the trouble comes in when you start traveling a lot. And then you realize that you've got to shift your blocks to where you, you know, every other week. So if I, you know, if I end up shifting a week to, you know, 60 to 80 hours of work because I'm traveling, then I need to take that extra 20 to 40 hours in over the week preceding or week after and, and add that to the other, the other categories that have, you know, had to been dialed, had to be dialed back for that. 
that shifting becomes a little bit more challenging. But right now, everything for me is super easy because I can't go anywhere. Got it. Got it. That makes that makes things a little easier. I, I get it. I'm sure your wife's happier to having you around as well. And uh, I think she was the first couple months. <laughs> Awesome, my friend. This is great, and I'm 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 a big fan of compound growth, exponential growth. And for our audience watching this, um, it's always a reminder like Pearson's law that which is measured and tracked regularly grows exponentially. And I see a lot of exponential growth in your world and, and the things you're up to. It's pretty awesome. How does our audience connect with you? So five .gg is your main site. Is your main passion project these days, right? What you're working on. Yes. Currently. Yeah, that, that's probably the easiest one, especially on air is just email rick at 5.gg or rick s at 5.gg. I use both. So either one works for me and that's the best way to get in, in contact with me. Amazing, my friend. Oh, I love what you do. And uh, our tagline is dare to play bigger game. And uh, you're actively really living, living into that. So it's awesome, my friend. So it's been fun for our audience, rulesforsuccess.com. Tap into this interview with Rick Starr and we'll also get the uh, summary there as well, rulesforsuccess.com. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of rulesforsuccess.com podcast. But the journey to success is far from over. Join us next week for another inspiring conversation with a successful entrepreneur. Until then, remember to be bold, be courageous, and go after your dreams.